Preparing for Abundance and Drought by Annie Rim. On a beautiful late October afternoon, I visited Ein Karim, Israel. It was one of those perfect autumn days, sunny, no jacket needed, but with the hint of cooler temperatures. My friends and I walked through the hilly ancient town in the suburbs of Jerusalem, exploring and talking about all that this town has seen, from the biblical story of the visitation of Mary and Elizabeth, to the burning of ancient olive groves as Palestinian farmers were displaced, to a quaint and thriving artist's colony. After visiting the Church of the Visitation and enjoying a delicious Israeli lunch, we walked up a hill to a small convent. As we wandered the gardens, looking at the valleys and terraced hills surrounding the town, we stopped at an ancient cistern built hundreds of years before. My new friend Ellie, a native of Jerusalem, talked about these cisterns still scattered through the region. When families and communities would move and settle a village, the first order of business was to build a cistern. Some were for family use and looked like a large planter pot. But the particular one by which we were standing was large, reminding me of a small swimming pool. Cisterns gather rainwater, not only for daily cooking and cleaning, but also for the inevitable times of drought. The large basins would keep crops alive, livestock quenched, and families with the necessary water to continue daily chores. It took planning and preparation to build the cistern, let the rains slowly gather in it, use the water enough to keep it from growing murky, and still ration some for the heat of summer. As I observe the history around me, I wonder if farmers just wanted to get on with the business of planting olive groves and depend solely on rainfall to keep them nourished. Building something for a non-rainy day takes time and energy that can be placed in a more tangible practice. I've always viewed my world more as a series of well-planned lessons rather than a winding adventure. I'd like to blame my training as an elementary teacher, but this way of compartmentalizing ages and experiences has always been part of my nature. Cognitively, I know that life doesn't work this way, but hope springs eternal as I try to map past and future experiences and expectations. I've been home for months now, and that cistern has stayed with me. My youngest starts full-day kindergarten next year, and I've gotten the range of questions and observations about how I'll spend all of my free time. Our family is approaching a time of transition, regardless of how my personal days will look. It will be a change having both of my girls in the same place and on the same schedule for most of the day. What I'm remembering is that now is not necessarily the time to plant the trees or look forward to the harvest. Now is the time to focus on the cistern. What am I constructing for this next season that will sustain us through the transition? What practices are we putting in place as a family that will see us through both abundance and drought? As my children move through the world of elementary school, I see how I give up more of my ability to manage their content, and I rely on those foundations and cisterns to nourish us. I think learning these lessons is good for any time, regardless of transitional phase, but I also want to be intentional with the coming months to remember that transitions take time and energy in ways that are unpredictable. In some ways, the cistern affirmed my way of thinking and lessons and plans and strategies. 
Really, it's a reminder to step back. Sometimes I need to do the work that doesn't seem as pressing, but will be life-saving down the road. As we walked away from that convent, I reflected on the fact that these cisterns are still here, centuries later. Many of the original olives have died off or been burned, but these cisterns are still here, gathering water and nourishing communities, if only symbolically. What are lessons and rhythms that will remain in our family years from now? I see some things changing because of season or need, but others are weaving their way into the foundations of our life. What will my daughter's children see when they dip into the cisterns my grandparents started years before? Now more than ever, I'm taking time to notice the ways we build and maintain our family's cistern, knowing that we will have the opportunity to fill it well. Lindsay Cornette, one of the editorial team members here at Kindred Mom. And today I'm really excited to chat with Annie Rim, the author of the essay you just heard. Annie, thank you so much for sharing this with us and for being here to chat. Oh, my pleasure. Well, I would love to begin just by giving the listeners the chance to get to know you a little bit. So can you start just by telling us a little bit about you and about your family? Sure. Um, We live in Aurora, Colorado, which is one of the inner suburbs of Denver. And I have two little girls, seven years old in second grade and four years old in preschool going into kindergarten. (laughs) And we, as a family, we love to hike. My husband and I met actually on a snowshoe hike. And it's just part of our family dynamic, just being out in nature. So Colorado suits us well. Yeah, it seems like a perfect place for y'all. You and I are connected a little bit online. And I know that you guys love the outdoors and nature, but I didn't realize that you and your husband actually met on a hike. That's kind of fun. I love that that's part of your story. Well, I also know that you are a reader. You and I have chatted about books and connected over books quite a bit. So I'd love to know what you are reading right now. Oh, um, well, I just finished State of Wonder by Ann Patchett. We have a little free library on the corner of our front yard. I got it for my birthday a few years ago and I noticed that one and it was really a great novel. I love Ann Patchett. I had read Bel Canto a few years ago. She weaves opera into all of her stories. Another fun fact, my husband and I got engaged in New York and went to the Magic Flute that night. So um, opera is something we love. This particular book takes place in the Amazon, yes. and yet she still weaves in the opera into, into her storytelling. That is one of my favorite books. Ann Patchett is one of my very, very favorite writers. So you can't see me, but I Aww. was smiling so big <laughs> as you mentioned that book. I think that Ann Patchett is just like, you know, goals as far as writing goes. I yeah. think she is amazing. And, you know, that's one of those books where, like, I want to say I loved it. The plot of that book is not like, super uplifting or encouraging or anything like that. You know, it's kind of a heavy book in some ways, but it is just wonderful. Well, and I feel like she takes these heavy storylines, right? But her writing is just so beautiful. You walk away feeling like, wow. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, we are in the middle of our Ages and Stages series this spring. So I would love to know in what ways have you grown or changed as your daughters have grown? Oh, gosh, Um, that feels like a minute by minute (laughs) (laughs) question, right? Um, 
Something unexpected, I think, about me. Um, I've always loved to write, but I'm one of those writers that really started writing when I became a stay-at-home mom. And so um, something that I think as they've gotten older, just the way I've been able to reflect on life and link it to bigger themes has changed a little bit. Um, when they were young, I depended on them for a lot of my content. Yes. <laughs> and now they're old enough that I'm much more careful about how I weave them into my reflective essays. And I think that that is indicative of just where I'm at in motherhood is it's starting to feel... Um, I don't want to say that I lost myself or that I'm... Re- <sighs> but that I'm regaining maybe um, a little bit more of... In this stage, I guess maybe I'm transitioning more into who I'm going to become as well. So I'm seeing them become their own people in school and stuff. And I'm seeing maybe a little bit of a shift in myself too, that opportunities or pursuits are, I don't know. Yeah. Just changing a little. Does that, that make does. sense? Yeah, that makes sense to me. And I like how you made that connection to writing as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think that makes a lot of sense. That's really interesting. Well, if you could talk to your pre-kid self, what do you think you would want to tell her? Don't read any books. (laughs) I would would say, um, just trust your gut. Um, I think some of the best parenting advice I got was from a mom whose youngest is the same age as our oldest. So just a tiny bit ahead. But she said, um, it works until it doesn't. Mm. And that has been better than any amount of parenting books I have ever read um, is that we do what works until it doesn't. And then we figure it out. Yeah, that (laughs) that is a good word. That is something I have had to learn too, I think. I'm Mm. very much the type where once I've figured out a system, I would just like to stick with it. Like I don't want to have to adjust (laughs) or change or anything. But I think, yeah, motherhood requires almost constant adjustment, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah, makes you nimble for yes, sure. <laughs> that's a great word for it, nimble. Well, Annie, I'm really glad we got to chat today. Thank you again for sharing this essay with us. As you were reading it, I was just struck by the fact that even though you wrote it quite a while ago, as we record this, we're right in the middle of kind of our shelter in place, quarantine, um, pandemic phase of life. And I was just struck <laughs> as you were reading by how relevant it felt for like this exact moment in time. So I really appreciate you writing it and taking the time to share it with us today. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Talk to you again soon. Mm -hmm.